Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. I, I really love the Olympics. I love the Olympics, and one of the reasons why is because I love uh, water polo. You guys know that I talk about soccer a lot. Well, my other uh, secret addiction is water polo. And the reason is, is because I used to play. I used to play water polo. In fact, Park Road Prez, I used to play with Phil Letizia, Pastor Phil, when I was in my late teens. I've known Phil a long time, and him and I used to play water polo together. We played on a club out in West Broward. And I won't, I won't start going too much into water polo because I'll just get started talking about the strategy and how it works and how it's one of the, one of the greatest games on earth. Um, but when we played, uh, Phil was like the finesse. Like, he was really good. He was really, like, squirmy. It was hard to, like, stop him. Phil was the finesse, and I was, like, the thug. And so <laughs> Phil was much more of a beautiful player, and, uh, and so you guys can respect him for that. But we played on this team out in West Broward, and the funny thing about this team in West Broward was that there was just a lot of people who were from the Caribbean in Central America and South America. There were people from uh, Cuba, there were people from the Dominican, there were people from all over Central America, and there was a lot of Brazilians on the team. And there was just a few of us, like, non-Hispanic white guys on this team that was dominated by Caribbeans and Central Americans and South Americans. And uh, they loved to call us gringos. Like, that's, they would, I'm not even sure they knew my name, but they would just be like, hey, gringo. And, um, and I really loved being on that team because, now maybe this is a stereotype, but those guys loved flair. Like, I was fine not doing anything, like, flamboyant, but that's not the way the team was. One of the guys named Rafa was from Brazil, and this guy loved to do everything with flair. Uh, at the end of some of our practices, our coach would let us climb to the top of the 10-meter diving board, like the top one that you see in the Olympics, and he would let us jump off. And, like, I would do it, but I, would, I, I was, like, completely scared of it, right? So I'm getting to the end, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. And I just go, and, like, splat, I hit the water. It's a long fall. You're doing this for, like, quite a few seconds on the way down. But not Rafa. Rafa, the Brazilian, would start off at the very back of the platform and he would just take off sprinting and he would not slow down when he hit that edge and he would just flail off the 10 meter diving board. And from us on the ground, it literally looked like he was going to clear the pool. But that was just Rafa and the rest of the team loved it. And I didn't have a choice whether I loved that flair or not because that was the culture of the team. Now, we went and played at a tournament called the Sunshine State Games up in Winter Park. And we played at Winter Park High School, and they had a really nice pool, and they had, uh, like, stands that were surrounding the two different pools that the matches were going on in. And there was dozens and dozens of teams, which meant there were, like, hundreds and hundreds of players and parents who were there and waiting, and waiting like, just waiting for the matches to start, watching the matches. And our team pulls up. And we're just ready to go in. Like, I'm just ready to go in and sit down like a normal person and sit down and, and not do anything with flair. But that was not Rafa. <laughs> Rafa was like, gringo, don't go in. Come over here. 
So he circles us all up, and he's like, we're going to go in, and we're going to go in loud. I was like, oh, no, no, this is, I'm on the wrong team. I mean, I'm part of this, but this is not something that I'm comfortable with. And he goes, no, we're going to go in, and we're going to make a statement. And I was like, oh, like my face is already turning red because I know, it's, I know whatever he's got planned, it's going to be embarrassing. But I've got to take part in this, right? I'm part of this team. And so Rafa pulls out this boombox. <laughs> it's the late 90s, all right? So we, he pulls out this boombox, and I don't know what the music was. It sounded like it could be Brazilian. It was, it was beating, you know, and, and it, was, it had flair. And he puts it over his shoulder, and he's like, everybody follow me. So we go into this water polo arena, and, like, Rafa's, like, he is not holding back. Like, you know, the thing where you do, like, two steps forward and backwards? I'm like, no backwards. Let's just go to our seats. Let's go. He walks in. The music's blaring. Everyone who's from the Caribbean or Central or South America is, like, loving this. And then there's me and a guy named Walt, who was also white, and a guy named Rich, who was also white. And we're, like, we're doing the white beat, you know? We're trying <laughs> our best to keep the rhythm. And, you know, I'm part of this, but this is not something I want to represent, you know? But I don't have a choice. You know, everyone in the stands is looking at Rafa. Everyone's looking at me. What are you doing there? I'm like, it's a Brazilian thing you wouldn't understand. But all of a sudden, I had become an ambassador, in a sense, for someone else's culture because I was part of this team. Now, I was a part of the team, and I represented something, whether I wanted to or not. I was an ambassador. And so I had to own that moment because in that moment, I was representing my team. You know, as the people of God, we are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of the movement of Jesus. We are part of the followers of King Jesus. And whether we feel like it or not, whether we feel like he's moving too fast for us or not, we are part of the movement of Jesus and therefore representative of Jesus to everyone watching, to a watching city and to a watching world. And the call for us is even if it feels awkward, even if it doesn't quite fit, even if it feels a little strange, we're called to own being ambassadors as of Jesus Christ. Now, the way that we do that, Paul's going to tell us in this passage, is, is ambassadors own being ambassadors by owning a new identity. In, in other words, they see themselves differently. But not only that, ambassadors own a new relationship. And then thirdly, ambassadors own a new role. So let's talk about how ambassadors own a new identity. In verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now, now you and I owe a moral debt to God because of our sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And when we rebel and sin against God, God doesn't just wipe it under the rug. There is a debt that is owed to him. But what Paul is saying is that when Jesus died, he died for every single person who knows him, and your debt has been canceled. You died to the debt that you owed God. 
when Jesus died on the cross for you. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, Jesus died for all his people, and therefore all died. Now notice how Paul connects the death of Jesus to the love of Jesus. Some people will say that we can see Jesus' love and we don't need to look at his death because his death doesn't feel comfortable to us. We don't like the idea that someone had to die for us, but that's exactly what Paul says, is that the love of Jesus is specifically connected to his death for us, so that through his death, we might have life. Look what he says in verse 15. Go to the next slide. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Jesus died on the cross to pay the moral debt that you and I owe to God. And when we trust in him, that debt is canceled. But he went into the tomb and he came back to life on the third day so that you and I could have new life. And what that means is we are freed from the moral debt that we owe God, yet we're freed for something. We're freed to live for Jesus. We're not freed to do whatever we want. We're freed to live for Jesus Christ. In Alcoholics Anonymous, in rule number three, or or what's what's the process called you go through, Chevelle? The steps. Chevelle and I were talking about this. Step number three, she was saying that it's you turn your will over to God. And Christians do something similar. We live our lives not for ourselves, but we live our lives for Jesus. We turn our lives over to Jesus Christ because we are in Christ. That is our new identity. Look what Paul says in verse 16 through 17. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Next slide. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Now, when Paul writes this, verse 17 right here, actually in the original language, it doesn't say he is a new creation. It's more like, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. New creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Now, did you notice Paul says that we no longer regard anyone from a worldly identity? That is to say, though the world sees people through the eyes of status or worth or position or importance, that's not the way Christians see people. Because Christians are not seen that way by God. See, most people function, I see you through the lens of what you do for me. But that is not how God sees people. When you are in Christ, God sees you through the lens of what Jesus has done for you. And therefore, you are not defined by your successes or your failures. You're not defined by your status or your worth or your position or your importance. You're defined before God by being in Christ. You are a new creation and you are part of a movement here on earth where God is recreating all things. 
The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. But here's the thing that Paul says. The test to really see how much you own this identity of being in Christ is how you see yourself, but it's also how you see others in Christ. Did you notice that he said we no longer see others from a worldly perspective? He's saying that we see other people, other Christians, other people who believe in Jesus through the lens of being in Christ. Now, here's the thing. In this moment, in our culture, everything is so divided. You can go on social media. You can turn on the news. You can watch YouTube. And you will see people giving you permission to think someone else is an idiot. Right? Okay, mass, no mass. Vaccine, no vaccine, right? Just let's just go right there. And, and what if we if we only look at those issues and they become the defining issue in the way that we see other people, we are seeing people through worldly eyes rather than seeing them through the lens of new creation. Now it's not that those issues aren't important. They are important. We have to figure that stuff out. Yet Christ died for all. And that is the foundation of how Christians are to see each other in Christ. If you can go to the next verse. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all. Vaccinated, unvaccinated. And therefore all, masked, unmasked, died. And he died for all so that those who live wherever you are on those issues, should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. See, you will listen to social media and news and YouTube, and they will give you permission to call other Christians idiots. But Jesus has not given you permission to call them that. The foundation of how you are to see other Christians, no matter the issue, is that if they are in Christ, they are a new creation, they are a brother and sister, they are being remade by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, ambassadors own being an ambassador by owning this new identity. In Christ, we are new creations, but they also own a new relationship, a new relationship. Everyone has a relationship with God, whether they know it or not. The problem is, as sinners, our relationship with God is one of alienation. Our first parents sinned in the Garden of Eden. They heard what God said, and they rebelled against him and did what they wanted to. And just like them, we ourselves have rebelled. And and God isn't one who just sweeps things under the rug. Just like none of us, when we see, uh, all of us actually, when we see issues that are wrong or unjust, something in us rises up and says, that has to be corrected. That's because we're made in the image of God, and God himself is a God who is just. And so when God sees things that violate who he is, he doesn't just sweep it under the rug. Rather, he says, something must be done. God is a God who is righteous and just, and therefore the bad news is that you and I are separated from God in this life. And if there is no reconciliation between us, we will be separated for eternity. But the good news of the gospel is that God has acted. 
God has done something to reconcile us to himself. Everything is from God who has what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Next slide. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of what? Reconciliation to us. See, see, Jesus Christ was eternally God. And he came from heaven to earth, born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. He perfectly loved his Father God. He perfectly loved his neighbor. And, and yet he was put on the cross. And he was done so even though he was sinless. He went to the cross on our behalf. He took the punishment that we deserve. So the wrath of God against sin was poured out on Christ instead of being poured out on us. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Did did you catch it? The, The very people that are shaking their fist at God are the very ones that he reaches out to and offers reconciliation through his son. The very ones that don't deserve it get what Jesus deserves. See, we all have a relationship with God of alienation and judgment until we rest in Christ and then we are restored and reconciled. And then our relationship status with God eternally changes. Look how Paul puts it in verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin. That's Jesus. Sinless. Perfect. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Now notice the the strength of the language that Paul is using. He doesn't say he made him to be like a sinner or to be counted as a sinner, but rather to be the representative of sin. That almost seems like I shouldn't say that, right? Because Jesus was sinless. And yet Paul is telling us right here that when Jesus went to the cross, God's anger against sin itself was poured out on the son that he loved. For who? What does it say? For us. For us. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We. Now, now I know y'all. I haven't met anyone that's perfectly righteous yet. In fact, a lot of y'all are pretty messed up, just like me. And yet that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about we need to do good at religion to become the righteousness of God. Rather, what Paul is saying is two things. One, he's saying that our record against God, our moral debt that we've already talked about, has been transferred on the Jesus, and God's justice against sin was put on Christ rather than on you and me. But that's not where the gospel stops. The gospel also tells us that we get Jesus' record. That even though you and I fall drastically short of the righteousness of God, God has declared us righteous, not because we're actually righteous, but because Jesus is righteous for us. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God actually declares us. That's called, that's a doctrine of justification where we are declared righteous even though we're not. But then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into us so that by the power of heaven, you and I actually become more like him. We actually become more righteous. As we get to know Christ, we become more like him every day so that when we sin and fall short, our relationship status with God isn't changed. We have a new relationship with God that's based on what Jesus has done for us, not on our successes or failures. And every day God is committed to make us more righteous like Jesus Christ, even though we know we drastically fall short. See, ambassadors can own being ambassadors because we have a new identity as being a new creation, but then we can own being ambassadors for God because we have a new relationship with God based on the goodness of Jesus. And that means that we have a new role, a new role for God. And that role is we're ambassadors. We're part of this, and so we represent it to a watching world. Even this morning, I heard someone say, I'm not, a, I'm not the right person to represent Jesus to my friends. I heard that on Tuesday, too. Someone else was talking. They're like, it's, I just can't do it. And you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. You fall drastically short of representing Jesus. But you have to see where the weight of this is. The weight of this is not on your ability to show Jesus to everyone else. The weight of this is on God's commitment to show Jesus through you. Okay? Look what he says here in verse 18 and 19. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. That is, we're part of this, but we're also representatives of us. Of this. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, Paul is talking probably first and foremost about himself as an apostle. But do you remember Paul's story? Paul, the one who thought he was following God by shutting down the gospel message and killing Christians? How in the world did that guy be the one who wanted to encourage Christians and point people to Jesus? Because the weight of being an ambassador for Jesus was not on Paul, but on Jesus' commitment to do it through Paul and through you. And through you, God has given us the message of reconciliation. That is, and here's this message, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here it is again, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. To us? That kind of seems like a bad decision on God's part. Unless the weight of being an ambassador of Christ falls more on God than it does on us. And when we begin to rely on the power of God and his commitment and this new role that he says we have, we begin to live as ambassadors. We begin to, to dance into the arena even though we don't feel like dancing we begin to be more honest and open about our relationship with Jesus to people that don't believe in Jesus. We lean in more with love to our enemies even though we don't feel like loving 
Not because that power comes from ourselves, but because Christ has committed himself to us and he has given this ministry. The very way that you and I are called to God through the work of Jesus as sinners is the very thing we share with the watching world. This is not about you and I being perfectly good people. This is about the fact that we are sinners who fall short and through Christ we have been welcomed into the family of God. And so the invitation is, you can be part of the family too. And that is what it means to be an ambassador. You know, this week, I'm sure you'll have a lot of good reasons, even why you're not a good fit for Mission Week, right? I'm introverted more than extroverted. I'm tired. (laughs) I'm fearful. I'm busy. I'm sinful. I'm weak. I feel so far from God right now. Pastor John keeps talking about the F-260, and I haven't done the F-260 in four months. You are not a good fit to be an ambassador of Christ. But the weight of being an ambassador for Christ isn't on your commitment. It's weighted on God's commitment to do it through you. You know, one of the greatest things about the Olympics is the opening ceremony. I love watching the opening ceremony when all the nations are paraded and and you can tell everyone is just so joyful to be there, right? Like, they know that their nation has invested literally millions of dollars in them to get them there through training and coaches and flights and hotels and all this stuff. But then you know that they've also worked really hard. They've put in years and years of efforts to be the top in their country to represent their country before a watching world. And as the cameras flash and the spotlights move around the stadium, you see those people in the opening ceremony dancing their way with their flag because they are so proud to represent their homeland as the best of the best. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is you're not the best. You're not even close to being the best. And yet Jesus invites you to represent him before a watching world. Because of what Christ has done for you, you are part of this. But you're also representative of him to our city and our streets and your workplace and all the people we'll meet during Mission Week. It's not because you deserve it. It's because God has committed to do it through you. Keep these things in mind this week. You are ambassadors of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.